This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. The House Speaker is the parliamentary leader of the majority party, as is the Senate majority leader, while the U.S. vice president is the Senate president. And if Senate President Pro Tempore is good enough for third in line, it's good enough for Washington's mom in tennis shoes. Phew! I'm Bill Radke. Welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. We'll discuss Tempore and layoffs and Kraken variants and Alzheimer drugs and a murder case and somehow even a reason to smile with my journalist panel here on Week in Review. My panel today, Seattle Times health reporter Elise Takahama. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. We have Puget Sound Business Journal tech reporter Alex Halverson. Hi, Alex. Hey, th- hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. And health journalist Joanne Silberner. Welcome back, too. Nice to see you. Great to be here. And I mean see you because uh, you can watch the show if you like because we're on Facebook and YouTube. You just search KUOW uh, Public Radio and you can watch the program. Okay, let's get at what's been happening this week. A Washington State University doctoral student made his first appearance in court this week as the suspect in the murder of four students at the University of Idaho in Moscow, just 10 miles from Brian Koberger's home in Pullman. We all have a lot of questions. Elise, you have you have a bunch of questions about this case. Yeah, this case is one that is, you know, obviously really sad and really horrific. Um, And so I believe the suspect made his first appearance in court yesterday. Um, So it's still pretty early in the court's process. But yeah, the big things that we still don't know at this point um, are, you know, number one, why did it take so long for police to be alerted after the killings? I had seen reports, I believe, that police weren't notified until hours later for some reason, although it's still unclear why, um, you know, if the suspect knew any of the victims, and then a big one would be motive or lack of motive as well. Um, And all three of those, you know, are, of course, things that often take time to investigate, but, but even still, because of just the horrific nature of this case, I think it's it's still tough to not have some of those big questions answered. Yes, Joanne, you're nodding your head through it all. Yeah, and I, th- I think I, I also read that the local police put a lockdown on information. They, they said, you know, we're not talking to the media. And I don't know whether that's because, you know, this is a little town. This is, as you said, really traumatic and awful experience, and they just want to keep things okay in the town, or whether it has something to do with the investigation. It's There are just so many mysteries here. And, and the coverage, the, the reporters aren't saying there's no motive yet or there's been no motive identified yet. And I wish they would just say that because I keep reading these stories where I actually probably wouldn't. You know, there are so many other things going on in the world today, and there's kind of nothing I can do about what's happening there. So I wouldn't necessarily spend time on it. But I keep reading, where's the motive? Where's the motive? Mm-hmm. And Alex, you also talked about the media frenzy in this. Yeah, obviously there's the TikTok aspect of it. Um, I don't know if anybody saw, but there were TikTok true crime um, people who thought they were going to solve it, and they were accusing people who worked nearby, I think at the university. So it created really this big media frenzy in what's a pretty small community. University of Idaho isn't in a big town. Pullman's not very big. Um, And now you've got journalists parachuting in. Obviously, they should be covering it. This is a big story. 
But now that um, he has been apprehended, the suspect, hopefully there's a little time for newsrooms to sort of take a breath and figure out how to cover this responsibly, I think. Mm -hmm. What I've noticed is the role of the lack of privacy for better or worse. Absolutely. This has been about DNA databases and surveillance footage and cell phone data. So if you're glad a suspected killer has been caught, you're kind of also glad about about the the increase in in snooping in my lifetime well there's some of the dna came from the garbage of his father yes yeah they use these public uh, these public databases are are catching killers suspected by the way this is all this is alleged this person is not you know, anywhere close to convicted obviously yeah i remember i used to cover uh cops and courts for the seattle pi a few years ago and there was a cold case in bothell and uh, the suspect, after years, was caught because they um, they suspected it was him through genealogy, and they got his DNA off a coffee cup in a casino. So it's very public wow. places they're getting this DNA, this evidence. And obviously, if it goes toward justice, it's a good thing. But like you said, there's kind of the looming um, prospect of more surveillance, more DNA, more invasion of privacy in it as well. And of course, sometimes yeah, DNA... Oh, sorry to... I, I, I'll just... To finish my thought, at least, is that uh, sometimes DNA exonerates people who have been wrongly accused as well. Yes, Elise? Yeah, definitely. Sorry to interrupt. I think, you know, what Alex, you had mentioned about the misinformation piece, though, you know, really reminded me of even, you know, a couple months ago when we were talking about Seattle serial killer and having all of these, you know, misinformation posts run rampant on social media because of that. Um, And, you know, I think that we were able to shut that down pretty quickly. Um, but even still, it's, you know, cases like these where, you know, we just have to be really careful about what we're consuming media-wise. Well, we, we, there's a lot more we're going to know. So uh, speaking of uh, media caution, let's pa- pause there. And uh, this um, suspect is going to have another uh, court appearance next week. And so this is, by the way, someone studying criminal justice at Washington State University studying criminology. Uh, Anyway, more to say later, but we're going to take a quick break on Week in Review, and we're going to go to not one but two capitals when we return and continue with what happened this week and uh, why it matters. Stay tuned. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, you have KUOW members to thank for that. KUOW members make the trusted local journalism and storytelling you hear on this show possible. Become a member today and help support the production of this podcast. It only takes a minute. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. This is KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke with health journalists Joanne Silberner and Elise Takahama with the Seattle Times, Elise with the Seattle Times, and Puget Sound Business Journal reporter Alex Halverson. I hope that when young women now see me in this position, they see they can accomplish anything they set their minds to. That was Washington's U.S. Senator Patty Murray on becoming president pro tempore of the Senate, which makes her third in line to the presidency after the vice president and the Speaker of the House, which doesn't currently exist. Uh, Elise, President Pro Tem is a largely ceremonial job. Do you think this means anything in particular to the residents of Washington State? 
That's a good question. Yeah, I do think it is largely ceremonial. So I don't know that Washington in particular will be that affected. And again, it's it's so temporary. So who is to even say how long this is going to last? But regardless, I think it was it was kind of a fun moment for Seattleites and Washingtonians to see to see Senator Murray up there. Um, yeah, I think you know, I think from what it sounds like, her appropriations committee chair position is going to be probably a different story, though. Um, from what she said, I mean, she is going into that role with a lot of Washington and Pacific Northwest specific priorities, um, and because she's basically going to, you know, have full range of what um, where where a lot of the fiscal spending is going to go, then things like wildfire funding and salmon 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 recovery are going to probably be high on her list. Yes, absolutely. Um, leading the Senate Appropriations Committee, which I, I read that this is the first time. That's a very, very powerful committee. And it's just a little footnote is that it's the first time that committee is likely to be held by four women from the majority and minority parties in the House and Senate. Again, that's if the House of Representatives ever uh, convenes and starts doing business. Um, and at least mentioned, you know, wa- people from Washington State watching our, our senator up there. And uh, Joanne, you were you and I were talking about how she was literally in her tennis shoes on that day. And I think she really took the high road in her comments. And, you know, she could have taken the opportunity to say, you know, here I am, you know, third in line for the presidency because, you know, the Republicans are just sort of so, so disorganized and chaotic. And said she took the high road and said, isn't this a great step for women? You know, isn't this nice? Uh, it also kind of masks over who actually would have been, I think, in other times in that position. And that because uh, Patty Murray's number two in terms of seniority in mm-hmm. the Senate behind Dianne Feinstein from California. And uh, I'm going to say the way the LA Times put it, people have, there have been, quote, concerns were grown that she may no longer have the stamina and mental sharpness which was a polite way of saying what a lot of people in Washington, D.C. are saying, which is uh, she's not really fully there. Um, she would argue that. Uh, other people are more concerned, but that's why. So she did not go for this position, and it ended up with Patty Murray because Patty's actually number two in seniority rather than number one. Right. Alex, have you been watching uh, all this? Capital drama? A little bit, yeah. Um, one thing that is striking, and I don't cover, obviously, the Capitol, but, um, you know, Patty Murray has been a longtime abortion rights, um, I won't say activist, but she's always stood up for those rights. And at this time, it does feel pretty striking to have her in a leadership position. Um, there's also the fact, I think Elise uh, put this in her pre-show notes, but a couple months ago, we were saying, oh, is this going to be a close race with her and <laughs> Tiffany Smiley? Right. And now oh. she's in this leadership position. So I think kind of those threads are, are kind of interesting to pull up. Yeah, I don't even know if the average listener knows the mom in tennis shoes reference anymore. I mean, yeah. That was a long time ago. Ta- you know, ta- she, I don't know how she was taken seriously enough to be elected, but n- anyone who's counted out Patty Murray, this is her sixth term in the, yeah. in the U.S. Senate. And we were in between, in between uh, uh, segments on the air. We were, of course, just chatting away about the 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 TikTok drama, the the minute by minute uh, vote counting for uh, the non Speaker of the House that continues today, at least as of this as of this recording, I think they're on ballot number a dozen or something. Yeah, I think he just lost his twelfth. Um, oh, did he? What I read on Twitter, I could be wrong. Okay, <sighs> fourteen. Oh, fourteen. I'm told. There okay. you go. Fourteen. Uh, the bidding keeps 
Thank you, Bernard. Our Bernard Willets is heading into vote number 14. Yeah. Um, okay, well, all this to say that things seem, in Washington state, first of all, uh, Senator Murray's uh, ascension to president pro tempore seemed so uh, so simple, seemed so, to work so well compared to what's happening among House Republicans. And in Washington state, We've had a House Speaker since November. You don't think there's going to be a rebellion against House Speaker Lori Jenkins of Tacoma, right? Oh, okay. Uh, so in Washington, the legislative session begins Monday, and we're going to have lots of coverage beginning next week. But uh, since we have some journalists here, Alex, what's what's an item that you will be following in the Washington legislature? Again, you're with Puget Sound Business Journal covering tech. What are you watching in Olympia? Absolutely. There's this one bill that um, kind of languished in the uh, legislature last year. Basically, it pertains to personnel records at companies, how much access employees have to them. Um, companies like Amazon have kind of been able to loophole. You know, you can't have access to maybe performance reviews, things like this. Um, I've talked to a former Amazon employee. His name is Patrick McGaugh. Interviewed, interviewed him for a piece. He spoke with Business Insider Bloomberg and told his story about being uh, pipped, allegedly pipped by Amazon. <laughs> Yes. Um, which is quite the process. But his frustration. It's kind of like getting squeezed out, right? Performance. Basically, yeah. It's a pretty, sounds like torturous process of getting squeezed out through just a mountain of work to, you know, catch up. Yeah. PIP is what? Performance something. I don't know the exact okay. acronym. That's just, okay. they just throw it around a lot. Basically, you're placed <laughs> on a performance improvement plan. I think that's, that's what it is. I think yes. it's a performance improvement plan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Not good. And basically, he's been championing this bill because he could never access his performance review records. He didn't know what he really needed to work on. Oh. And this is a kind of a tale you hear from a lot of ex-employees who have been pipped. So basically, this bill would kind of make it so Amazon has to give over these types of records, right? They're, they would classify them as personal um, personnel records. Hmm. Well, why, why does Amazon want to keep the records? What's the big deal about being more transparent? Because in, then it's easier to pip people, right? You don't have oh, to okay. give as much reason. You can just sort of, again, squeeze them out. They have this attrition rate they have to hit each year, according to internal documents. Um, so it just makes it easier if they can sort of obfuscate that. I see. Uh, how about you, Elise? What's an issue that you'll be following in our Washington state legislative session that starts next week? Sure. Yeah. I'm sure Joanne will probably be looking at this as well, but uh, this is going to be an interesting session on the health side and the hospital side in particular. Um, Last year, one of the main hospital related debates kind of surrounded uh, the issue of staffing ratios. So nurse patient ratios or how many nurses are assigned to how many patients. So generally it's like two to one is two two nurses to one patient. Um, And generally it's ideal to have lower ratios because that means that that one patient has more more care from the nurses who are around them. Um, so generally, healthcare unions and nurses are very for implementing strict staffing ratios in Washington hospitals, which is something that only California really has done in the U.S. They're the only ones who have really had comprehensive laws like this that really enforce um, having to, to to stay by these these ratios. And so. Hospitals generally oppose them in Washington. Um, They think that if we implement these ratios, that they'll eventually have to start turning patients away um, because they basically won't be able to, you know, still comply with the ratio or, you know, they'll be fined. Um, So they're coming at it from that perspective. Unions are coming at it from a perspective of just wanting to reduce burnout um, and reduce 
basically this attrition that's been going on at hospitals for the past couple of years. Um, and so that bill uh, failed last year. It was also introduced during the session last year. It went through the House, but it failed in the Senate. So they're going to be reintroducing that this year. And I think that it might just get to be a really heated debate. I mean, it's it's a really good question. And I think because only California has really looked into the staffing ratio issue and actually see how had data come from it, they're the only ones who really have, you know, accurate an accurate sense of how it might play out. Um, so in Washington, we're definitely going to be hoping to hear from a lot of experts on that side. Um, but of course, that's just one issue. I think, you know, the other top ones are, um, you know, wanting to hospitals are wanting to get Medicaid reimbursement rates updated on the state level. And that is up to the legislature. Um, Medicare is up to the federal government, but the Medicaid side um, gets decided on the state level. So that's something that has been a really big topic for the past couple of months, especially um, because it, it's true that these rates haven't been updated for 20 years. So that and then also looking at long term care issues are going to be pretty, pretty big on the health side this year. It's, it's a lot of stuff to follow. And I think the thing to remember from the patient point of view, what we're seeing, you know, if we're in the hospital, you know, in the ratios, I, I think my understanding of the ratios of nurses to patients is it varies so that in the ICU, you'll have that two to one ratio, but Definitely. if you're on a regular floor, it might be something different. But uh, U.S. News and World Report does its hospital rankings every year. And one of the key ones, the one that I look at, not that I would ever travel to go to a hospital. I'd rather just be treated at my local hospital. But if I did, it'd be the nursing ratios that I would look at. And, and U.S. News factors that into the to how highly they rate a hospital. You're not going to get a high rating with a low ratio. And it's because even if there aren't specific studies, it's just clear that Better nursing means, and and you can only have better nursing when the nurses aren't overwhelmed. I mean, this is sort of, to me, a be nice to nurses bill. It, mm. We really need to be nice to nurses. We can't, if we overwhelm them, they, they can't take care of us well. So I think from my point of view as a patient rather than as a journalist, I want the nurses to get what they want, and I want the hospitals to get what they want in terms of the Medicaid funding because if they're having to skimp in other places, it's going to affect me. Well, those are a couple of things to watch in Olympia in our legislative session coming up uh, starting next week. We'll have a lot more to say about that. Um, sp since we're talking about hospitals and staffing and patients, I just wanted to note how not overwhelmed our hospitals are in early January. Oh, do not get excited. No? No. I mean, I've been no. waiting for the COVID wave. Yes, and you can continue, and it might come. Okay. You know, the one thing that's been true about COVID all along is how really, really unpredictable it is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just all, all bets are off. And when you look at, uh, you know, it, the numbers for flu and for RSV are down, and that's looking good. COVID, not looking so, you know, it's not looking so bad right now. But and this new, there's a new variant, which we it's percentage of variants for us. It's only a few percent, but across the country, it went up. If I'm reading the CDC's numbers correctly, from 20 percent of all variants are this new one to 40 percent. The new one doesn't cause greater illness, but it does look to be a little more infectious. It's a uh, may I may I play a quick piece of audio oh, about okay. exactly the subvariant you're talking about, okay. and then I want to I want to. Continue with you, Joanne. If uh, this is the um, Omicron subvariant, very infectious, called XBB.1.5, a name that Yahoo News says is not <laughs> catchy enough. 
<laughs> a new strain of the COVID Omicron variant now accounting for 40% of cases in the U.S., according to the Centers for Disease Control. And prevention scientists have named this subvariant Kraken. That's right, Brian. And a note, it's not officially called Kraken. It is just the nickname given for now because we ran out or have not been given a Greek letter name for it just yet. No Greek letter for it, so let's call it the Kraken. Thanks a lot. <laughs> this There's... has always been a problem with COVID. You know, when it started out, as we remember, uh, President Trump called it the Wuhan virus or the China virus. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's been an issue with some of the Ebola variants that when you assign it a name from a country, it's disparaging. And, and so they've been giving these letters, and I guess they're running out of Greek letters. Yeah, which is too bad because the next Greek letter is pi after Omicron. <laughs> and I was sort of looking forward to the, the pumpkin subvariant and the, and the rhubarb <laughs> subvariant, but it's not going to happen. There is a hockey team called the Nashville Predators, which would be a better name for a disease, I would think, than the Kraken. But we're stuck with it uh, here in Seattle. So, um, so you think... Don't be don't be too uh, no. relieved about where we are right. regarding COVID. Okay. And I just read something on the way over uh, from an immunologist, immunologist at Johns Hopkins, and he uh, he says that early studies of this new variant show it's uh, a little more infectious and less uh, less sensitive to vaccinations, but vaccinations still work. He did say there's indications that having had COVID isn't as protective against this one. You know, as as it might be. So, but it's but, not it's not especially virulent, is it? I mean, no, no. all COVID is dangerous. I'm right. running from it, but right, but yeah, yeah th this one is not. It's not the superbug that people have been scared about and worried about. But okay. it is COVID. It, it 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 as you know, the early studies look like it's a little more infectious and a little uh, less sensitive to, or you know, if you've had COVID before, you're a little less protected against this variant than some of the other ones. Okay. So. Uh, his this uh, immunologist at Hopkins was saying this is just another message to you know if you haven't been boosted uh, maybe maybe it's time to think about it. Yeah. Is uh, can I get a little bit of uh, download from you on? I just got a breaking news alert from uh, the New York Times in my inbox, and it says that the FDA has just approved a new treatment for early Alzheimer's, and you were, you were kind of wet blankety on uh, this drug. So yeah. what's going on? Boy, I, I should first say that my father had Alzheimer's um, many I'm years sorry. ago. My mother had dementia. I don't know. She didn't get an Alzheimer's diagnosis, right. but, but I'm, I've been there too. Yeah, it, and it's, it's uh, boy, when these new drugs come out, and a couple of them came out when my dad was still alive, and you get you get hopeful, and I don't want to. And of course, the drugs did nothing for him back then. And will this drug do something for people? I, not a whole lot. I mean, the, the numbers that, um, in the initial studies were there's an 18 point scale for where you add up. You know, you get three points if you're fully there in terms of being able to communicate with others, and three points if you're fully there in terms of being able to dress yourself and things like that. And so, a total of 18 points. This one was this drug made a 0.45 point difference out of 18. Now, what does that mean? Uh, it depends on who you talk to. Some say, well, you know, it slows things down for three to four months, and others, other physicians who've worked with it say it's not really noticeable mm -hmm. in a big way. It is certainly not a cure. Is it going to be help? It's also, by the way, side effects. It's a little easier to take than the original drug that came out. But uh, it, you get infusion 
uh, twice a month. You have to go to the hospital probably for that or a, a technical place. That's hard on people. This is only for mild to moderate right now. But even my dad had moderate, and boy, taking him around to doctors was was tough. I I don't want to be a wet blanket, but I'm not encouraged. Yeah. Well, I wanted it. I want to know. I remember there was a there was a there was controversy over this other. Oh, the other one was, yeah. But it's not, it's better than that? It's better than that, but I hate to say that because I don't want to use the word better in in terms of, but that one was so bad that the FDA changed, in order to approve that one, it changed its criteria for approval from showing some kind of benefit or at least a slowing to showing a change in brain anatomy, to showing um, less of that gunky stuff that clogs up people's brains. that one was pretty much run out of town by the entire medical community. Yeah. Uh, not only, you know, one st- thing was its cost. And we don't know. The company is supposed to announce within hours what it's what this new drug is going to cost. But the old one, the company initially was charging $58,000. And now it's down to 28000 But even at that, Medicare said, you know what, we're not convinced that it works. So, oh. Okay. And health reporter Elise Takahama, this, this is... Just, this is new. The FDA just approved this drug. It's a mono, monoclonal antibody known as uh, Lakembi. Do you do, have you uh, are you up on anything about this uh, the, about Alzheimer's treatment yet? No, not quite yet. Okay. Although you know what Joanne is saying is is really interesting, and so I would be curious to kind of follow as this. So it was the it just initial FDA approval, accelerated approval. So that's a accelerated approval form of approval, but um, it is. It is a form of approval, and they're going wow. to go for it. They, they said, the, company said, the two companies working on it said they are going to go for the full approval as soon as this one comes through. So, hmm, Interesting. Yeah, I, I haven't reported on it um, much myself, but would be really interested to follow how that plays out. That would be, you know, either way, I mean, it would be good to know what that data looks like. Speaking of the two companies, I know you're on the tech beat at Puget Sound Business Journal. This is not your beat, Alex, but I was when I saw FDA approval, Alzheimer's drug. I'm always kind of hoping that this will be a, some, you know, one of the Seattle uh, biotech companies and uh, not so. No, no. And I don't cover biotech, um, although we do. My colleague Rick Morgan covers a lot of biotech and uh, they're, they're um, occupying a lot of office space in downtown Seattle so I was a little surprised as well. You know, every time I kind of hear one of these things, these things, I think it's going to be one of these biotech companies that I don't quite know the name of, but um, I always hear that they're moving into SLU. Right. Well, speaking of SLU, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about South Lake Union and uh, and our local companies a little bit later on the show. Before we before we take our our little break, one more health note, Joanne, is that I I I hadn't known about this really. There's a a, an, a survey of American health and what it moves around the country. So the fact that King County is is now participating, that's a new thing. Yeah, it's been going on for decades. And they it, this is called the NHANES study. Uh, it's a health and nutrition study of Americans. And they they look at 5,000, I think, a year. And they uh, they get people, they look at their height, weight, health, chronic diseases, uh, if, if people are agreeable, they'll take a blood sample. They'll see what's in their blood. How are they doing nutrition-wise? And so many important things have come out of this study. And the reason I think it's important to talk about is because they're calling now, they're calling some Seattle homes to say, do you want to take part in the study? And I know there's sort of a anti-government feeling 
all over. And you might want to say no, but boy, this is a great study. It's always been confidential. And what they've I'll tell you some of the things that they've learned from the study in the past. One was how prevalent lead poisoning is or too high levels of lead was. And they were able to monitor and see those lead levels come down over the years. You know, how else are you going to know how big a problem is? It's This study is used widely in terms of health policy. What do we need to spend more money on? What are the problems in maternal and child health? And the data are used and the analyses are used that they'll look at you know, what are the nutrients in our blood like? And do we, therefore, do we need to fortify bread more than we do? You know, all these big questions. Do it's we, a CDC study, right? It's a CDC yeah. study, but it, 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 it's just giving clues on how to move forward in public health in terms of messaging. You know, the lead message, that was a success that they point to. And mm. all the cholesterol messaging came from the numbers, came from understanding what you know where we were so if they come to your door and you think about it there's never been a problem with the you know the data don't get out the, it's not individualized to you if you go through with the full study you get a free health exam and they'll they'll tell you how you're doing oh, it's okay. it's uh, the the data are really important in telling us the health of the country and my fear is that people are going to say no nah, nah, nah. but i think it's a good thing to do yeah, I would definitely agree with that, Joanne. I think, you know, as you said, one of the big perks, in addition to contributing to, you know, hopefully some more health, healthier programs in the U.S., but also just the free health and nutrition evaluation is huge, I think. Um, and I think water, King County was also chosen one of 15 counties in the U.S. It's it's not a super huge thing every year, but um, I think it's maybe 5,000 people. But um, but even still, you know, one of 15 counties is really exciting. And the fact that we were chosen as one of them, I think, could, you know, only be good for our city and our county. So um, hopefully people do participate if they're asked. Well, I realize this must be expensive to do it every place, but I'm a little disturbed that it's just that it's just 15 counties when I would think that that health issues are very different from place to place. And you, you hope that somebody's not getting missed who's. Uh, could surface one of these important health concerns. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting to watch that the statistical and epidemiological evaluations have gotten very sophisticated. So they try to oversample certain groups because they haven't had big numbers in the past or they recognize that they need big numbers that they might not be seeing. They they go to, you know, 15 places around the country. It, it's a very sophisticated statistical analysis, and they're, they're concerned about the same thing you are. Okay. So finally, is this something I can volunteer for? No. How does it work? They call you. <laughs> but, okay, so here's my number. <laughs> CDC. <laughs> Okay, so you just may or may not get a phone call right. from the Centers for Disease Control. Right. Okay. Uh, well, thanks for telling us about that. We are going to take a short break. We, we have a help, couple of health reporters with us, so I'm just milking for all the information I can learn while we have <laughs> Joanne Silberner and Elise Takahama here. And in a moment, we're going to uh, turn the spotlight to Alex Halverson from Puget Sound Business Journal because we're going to talk about Amazon layoffs, not 10,000. But almost double that. That's significant, and I want to learn about that and what it means for the Puget Sound area after we take a little break. We'll also smile for one reason or another when we come back. It's KUOW's Week in Review. You can watch the show on YouTube or Facebook because we're streaming it. Uh, just search KUOW Public Radio 
Or you could just sit back and listen to me, Bill Radke, and we have the Seattle Times' Elise Takahama here, and Puget Sound Business Journal's Alex Halverson, and independent journalist Joanne Silberner, uh, breaking down the big news of the week. And I would count this, Alex. Amazon had said in the fall that it was going to cut approximately 10,000 positions, which is a lot. Um, but it now they're saying it turns out that number is more like 18,000, according to a company memo this week. Um why the significant ramp up in layoffs from Amazon? I mean, I don't know if we'll ever know why they're okay. good at keeping these things kind of secret. Um, could just be worsening economic conditions for them. Could be that their fourth quarter isn't going to be um, as good as they thought it might have been. But yeah, it's it's a big jump. Back in November when they said it, you know, when we had all confirmed with them, they said it's going to be about ten thousand, maybe more, maybe less. And then this week, it looked like it had gotten leaked. And so uh, CEO Andy Jassy um, came out to employees and said, hey, by January 18th, those who have been affected will be let know. Um, and then combined with the November and January layoffs, it'll it'll bump up to 18,000. Okay. So I think, uh, first of all, do we have any idea how many of these 18,000 layoffs will be in the Puget Sound area? Because Amazon's got a lot of people in a lot of places. They do. We do not. I'm hopeful that on January 18th, if it's big enough, it affects one site. Um, we'll get a warn notice, maybe from the um, Employment Security Department, the ESD. Uh-huh. Um, we'll let you know. Yeah. I can't remember. But uh-huh. um, that will be our I've best. unfortunately dealt with them. <laughs> right. Yeah. That'll be our best insight, <laughs> um, as I doubt Amazon will break it down by hub, by city, by any of that. But there's a good bet that it'll affect the Puget Sound region a lot. Yeah, they have hubs in... New York and L.A. Um, HQ2 in Virginia. Virginia, Nashville, every place, but they've got most of them here. Yeah. I mean, over 60,000 corporate and tech employees here, and it's going to be infe- uh, affecting the retail side, you know, the operations employees, the devices employees, mostly human resources. And that's a lot of what's in Seattle and Bellevue. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least and Joanne might have questions too, but one that popped to mind is, do you think for, for Puget Sound Cuts, do you think Amazon will cut jobs in the Seattle offices and not the Bellevue offices because of the Seattle payroll tax? I don't know, and I don't think so. I think the way they were structuring their move to Bellevue, this will affect Bellevue. Um, a lot of the Bellevue, early in early reporting, especially in the Seattle Times, it was reported that Bellevue is going to get a lot of the retail side, the Amazon.com, um, not a lot of the AWS, their cloud division. Well, these layoffs are affecting a lot of that um, retail side. Now, who knows what they'll be doing? Maybe they'll shift it to Bellevue. But I think this is going to hurt the Bellevue employment, the plan to get to, what was it, 25000 over there? I think it's going to hurt that a lot. And you were telling me part of the – sorry, just to on that topic of Bellevue, that the, Bellevue is in a worse position in a way because uh, Amazon doesn't own those buildings? They don't own those buildings. Uh, I think maybe they had one project that they owned, but it was a lot of that they were involved with the development, but they had leased those buildings. Where in Seattle, a lot of the newer development from Amazon is Amazon-owned stuff, right? So they're paying rent in Bellevue. And these are towers that aren't set to come online and until you know later this year, 2024, 2025. A lot of those projects have been paused over the summer. You know, We reported that uh, five towers were going to be paused. One wasn't even going to be built yet. So they're clearly thinking of like, okay, how do we get into Bellevue smoothly, especially now that we're going to be cutting people and eliminating roles. And the hiring has gone down. About a year ago, they had over 3,500 open roles in Bellevue. Um, I think Wednesday when we reported on the layoffs, they had about 40. Mm, Um, Wow. So the hiring prospects aren't even high over there right now. Alex, I lived in New Jersey when Bell Labs was the premier 
telecommunications research institute in the country, and they just were – it was – that and they had I don't know maybe ten or twelve places around New Jersey and they shut them one by one in in the eighties and it was uh, suddenly in my little town the the taxi drivers would give you lectures on lasers you know <laughs> or you know this this was a place that had nine Nobel prizes and 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 all of a sudden you, you, you're if you went to the diner you know the the waiters were just incredibly smart and you're thinking where are these people going to go now. Well, what's interesting is um, actually Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella said this in a recent, um, I think it was a conference or something, and you can look at occupational data and see this, that while the tech industry may be suffering a little bit, tech jobs are actually growing. Huh. Um, industries that were kind of slow to get to the digital revolution, well, now those former Amazon employees, those former Salesforce employees, the ones with all these really big skill sets are able to sort of beef up the digital transformations of these companies, you know, you're going to get Maybe finally our mobile website won't be terrible. Maybe, you know, you're going to maybe see some digital infusion into city governments that have some more cash on fund or... They uh, can go to Southwest. They can go to... (laughs) They will will need them, right? Please. (laughs) But, you know, it's like, you know, I I go on LinkedIn a lot to like reach out to employees who have been affected. And um, I saw one person, they had Microsoft, Amazon, Salesforce in their resume, and they recently got a job at uh, Taco Bell and they're a software development engineer talk about now that's just an example of that right that tech jobs aren't going anywhere so these employees probably aren't going anywhere Mm. but they're not going to be working for the amazons the but are they going to be pushing people out that that was one thing i didn't notice in new jersey and i don't know whether it'll happen here that you know where these jobs they were taking were pushing other people out yeah i think it's just going to be a different dynamic right i think that these are newer tech jobs um I don't think they're going to be driving taxis or being waiters. I think they're going to be probably working from home and for a company that's based in, I don't know, Chicago or wherever. Mm-hmm. Even in healthcare now, I think there are more and more tech jobs that are becoming available, which, you know, I think a lot of people have different perspectives on, but it's one of those things that I, I mean, even Amazon, I'm sure, I'm sure Alex, you know, um, you know, all, all of what they've been doing to try to acquire healthcare organizations and to try to get into that space has been really interesting to watch. And yeah, I think it'll, we'll probably continue to, to look into that this year. I mean, it's just, if not, if they're not going to these other, you know, Amazon types, then maybe going into different industries that are also kind of branching into healthcare might be an option too. Yeah, telehealth is going to need a lot of technology people. Absolutely. And a lot of these companies that are being affected by layoffs, they're public companies, right? They're still making more money than ever. Profitability is going down a little bit, but investors are kind of freaking out over slow growth, right? So some of these uh, laid off employees, well, they're going to go to the private companies, right, that don't have as much investor pressure that um, we might see a resurgence in like startups or something. I know I have a colleague who reports Mm -hmm. on startups and Mm. mid-sized companies. And kind of what you're hearing is this could be a kind of a new age for startups. That, That person who was at Amazon for a decade and had that great idea, well, now that they're laid off, they can bring that to a startup. Or, you know, that's just an example. Huh. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, where, there, where job one is not to pump up earnings uh, for the next call. Exactly. But what yeah. else could we – and as Elise said, Amazon certainly thinks that the healthcare sector needs, you know, disrupting and, mm-hmm. and building out. So we could be at the, the very beginning of all kinds of things. Absolutely. Sure we are. Um, at least one more question I got, and I, I keep the floor open, but is, of course – the economy, local like people listening to us who aren't in this in that sector might be thinking, 
am I going to be able to afford a home or am I going to be, you know, I'm a South Lake Union business. Uh, you know, that's awfully specific. But, you know, a lot of people could be affected by this positively or negatively. Yeah, I'm not a residential real estate expert, um, but there has been some great reporting. I know I read uh, something in The Times a few weeks ago that, yeah, while the housing market is kind of cooling down, it's not affordable. And I don't think these tech layoffs will do a huge, make a huge difference in affordability because hmm. um, the employees, there's no sign that they're going anywhere. Yeah, they're laid off by Amazon, yeah. but now they can work remotely for Shopify or wherever, yeah. right? So they're still, and, and they've got great severance packages at a lot of these companies. So, you know, they could be able to live off that. A lot of their compensation was wrapped up into stock units. So they've got sort of that base that they maybe can live on in between jobs. Mm. So are you going to see a glut of affordable housing? I, I, I doubt it. Um, the South Lake Union economy thing is interesting because, you know, they were hit pretty hard by the pandemic. All those people were working from home in right. that area. And a lot of retail tenants, food, um, yeah, traditional retail moved into that place because they thought they were going to be served by tens of thousand tech employees with a bunch of cash in their pocket every day. Um, <laughs> I remember last year I talked to Rachel from Rachel's Ginger Beer, sure. who moved into the base of an Amazon tower. And she said, yeah, Amazon's actually a good landlord. And I, I like the location. But when I moved in, I had the idea that I was going to have so many people coming to my shop every day. And it, it hasn't been that way, obviously. So I think you're going to see a yeah. continuation of that with less people working at these places. <laughs> okay, well, we have um, a few minutes left, about 10 minutes left in the show, and, and, and a lot to smile about, if you think about it. Um, we just don't always know it. So let's talk about what has made us smile this week. And Elise, a colleague of yours at the Seattle Times, wrote about New, York, uh, New Year's resolutions that don't make you feel worse. And you were saying, you were telling me that's something to smile about. Yeah, my colleague Hannah Perfaro, she's on the Mental Health Lab, and she wrote about um, attainable New Year's resolutions, um, which was all, which is a fun read, and I think it's important for people to keep in mind. Honestly, I think you know this time of year we all kind of aim for aim for the stars, which is good, but then you know February you feel awful about yourself. So yeah. you know any way to kind of uh, prevent that and you know make make yourself feel good throughout through. through once January ends, I think is important. Um, so that's a good one for people to uh, to keep in mind. You know, it doesn't have to be some whole new fitness routine. It can be something much more um, uh, yeah, easier to incorporate into your daily life. Mm -hmm. And my attitude on timing is is the same as my attitude on if I ever win the lottery. It's like, you don't spend it right <laughs> away. My attitude on New Year's resolutions is not January 1st, but January 6th. <laughs> oh, January 6th, idea. it is the day of doing going out and doing great things. <laughs> well, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, your your colleague wrote about well, here's instead of just uh eat less, you know, there's there's uh, be self-compassionate, you know, practice self-compassion, express myself creatively, find peace in my environment. Um and I can at least I can still find ways to feel bad about not doing enough of all of those. Uh, you know, I didn't find as much peace in my environment as I said I was going to. But one I really related to on on the list was was building community because I have given up making res resolutions that are solitary because if I was going to do it, I'd already be doing it personally. But the but building community, if you in January, perhaps on January 6th, if you will go whenever, if you will go and reach out to somebody and put yourself out there and maybe even sign up for something, promise to do something, you know, bring something to the potluck, 
uh, exchange phone numbers, you know, offer up your home for that book club that you've you're, you've resolved to participate in. If you if you if you build those ties and sort of obligate yourself to something, we are social animals. We might not. I'm kind of introverted. I might not want to do it, but I'm more likely to do it if I get the ball rolling. And hey, it turns out that you know Elise is kind of nice to spend time around. You know, maybe we'll we'll keep. Well, I'll stay in that book club, etc. Yeah, definitely. I think especially after starting to come out of those pandemic norms and routines and being really isolated. Um, that's something that I've had a really hard time with getting back into. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good one. Building community. Yeah. Anything else making you smile this week team? Well, I've gone to my dog before and I'll go to her again. Uh, we found a great place for her for overnight visits. And uh, I heard a phrase that, Dogs exist to show us that everything's exciting. Everything is exciting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> True. Yeah, we dog sat over the holidays. I haven't had a dog since I was, I don't know, 15 years old or something. And it was kind of fun. I thought it was going to be a yappy, annoying little thing and sort of by, <laughs> sort of bonded with that dog. Mm. I was considering stealing it. Um, Alex, how about you? Yeah, we talked about it off mic a lot. And uh, I know the house is pure chaos and m- maybe worrying by the second, but the jokes and the memes have just been... Making me smile. Speaker of the house. Oh, yeah, McCarthy. <laughs> it has been fun. Oh, my gosh. In a horrible way, it's been fun. I've got a, a couple of them. Remember uh, Krampusgate? Vaguely. Okay, yeah. so these are Germany and, and Austria have this very old, centuries-old holiday tradition of a Christmas demon who scares misbehaving children. Uh, so it's this horned, half goat, half human creature, genuinely creepy. I I don't think I go through <laughs> Halloween thinking it's not spooky, it's not scary, it's stop saying spooky. But th- actually, the Krampus costumes are legit. I think they're real animal horns too. But anyway, they're this, pretty creepy. This isn't a Bill Murray movie. <laughs> no, no. Okay. But it's set in in a in a, a sort of um, Punxsutawney type of town because it's because in Leavenworth. For the last couple of Christmases, they had, you know, Leavenworth, the Bavarian-themed mm-hmm. tourist town. It's supposed to be a friendly, happy place. But they let the Krampus revelers, you know, Christmas is a big deal at Leavenworth. And there were so many complaints. I don't know how many complaints. There's actually an argument about whether this was a few disgruntled people or masses of terrified tots. But uh, the, it was enough that the Leavenworth <laughs> leaders said they shut it down, right? No, we're not going to do Krampus. So uh, here over these holidays that just passed comes Bremerton and says, come on down. You can haunt us. And there was a Krampus knocked event in downtown Bremerton. And I was reading about it. They have also there are places who, who welcome in them the, the Krampus do haunted houses like in Mount Lake Terrace, and they did a liquor release party at a Chuckanut Bay distillery in Bellingham. But what does that mean, liquor release? A new type of a new, yeah, a, a, a new Scotch or something, or, yeah. yeah, and maybe maybe uh, horn flavored. I don't know uh, all the details, <laughs> but uh, Chris Kringle Market in Tacoma. And the reason this made me smile is I I feel that you know Halloween is is scary fun supposedly anyway. Kids are going to cry on Santa's lap anyway, so I kind of liked to see. Um, I mean, it's great if Bell- if if, if uh, Leavenworth wants to to be child friendly in Strassenhauserhofen. That's great, but I kind of appreciated that Bremerton <laughs> stepped up and said, "Scare us!" Okay. So you're going to go there next year? I might just go to Bremerton just to see the Krampus and cry. 
And then finally, my, my, my second smile is that the Scrabble Dictionary added a word that I had never heard of. I can't believe I hadn't heard of it. Do any of you know what an egg corn is? An egg corn? Egg corn. How do you spell it? <laughs> Thank you for asking. It will use up all your Scrabble tiles uh, if, you, if you plural it. Egg corn is E-G-G-C-O-R-N. And it's because apparently some people think that an oak tree drops egg corns. Yeah, you're looking surprised, Alex. Your your mouth just flew open, which is it's not it's it's acorn, but it's understandable because an acorn is a seed. It look, it's kind of like a corn kernel. Seeds are kind of like eggs. The acorn sort of egg shaped. So an <laughs> egg corn is an understandably misunderstood word or phrase that still kind of makes sense. For example, if you say cold slaw, and always thought it was cold slaw. Yeah. You're not total. I mean, it is a cold slaw. You're not dead wrong. I think you're being generous with understandable. (laughs) Maybe. Well, I'm an understanding person, Alex. Um, But some other possible acorns, and maybe maybe you all have have grown up with your own. But uh, to say that something spread like wildflowers. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> so, like, if you think wildflowers spread quickly, then that would make sense to you. It's or maybe not... it means spread slowly, but well, in a positive way. Yeah, maybe something spread like wildflowers. Yeah, Isn't that kind nice of nice? And slow, if and COVID is going to spread, I'd rather it spread like wildflowers than wildfire. Um, something. If you think something can be coming down the pipe. Instead of down the pike. I don't even know what a pike is, honestly. So things do come down a pipe. Um, It was turnpike. It was down the road. Oh, is that? Oh, down the turn, down the turnpike. Okay. So down. So a pipe doesn't have a toll to it. And and so (laughs) I I was thinking, uh, Alex, of you, that a Seattle egg corn could be (laughs) to say that Amazon coming to the Puget Sound area was, and many people say this, was a boom to the economy, yeah. right? No, it's, supposed, it's supposed to be a boom, yeah. uh-huh. but, but yeah, but this year Amazon might be uh-huh. a boom to the economy. So, you know, last rights, you might feel you have rights at the end of your life, you know, instead of yeah, R-I-T-E-S. That's so that's, it's relatable, right? So now you know a new word go. and you get credit for it in Scrabble. And uh, that made me smile. Is that wrong? No, that's great. No, I think this should be a regular part of the program where you, people get to nominate. Because I know I'm going to go home and think of 10 of them, but I can't think of any right now. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy that. Good. I've given you something to do on your way home. Uh, that's Joanne Silberner, uh, an independent health journalist and Seattle Times health reporter Elise Takahama and Puget Sound Business Journal tech reporter Alex Halverson. And they've all helped you uh, understand, assuming that you've been doing other things besides following Kevin McCarthy breathlessly and keeping up on the news we we do it all for you in an hour and i just love to see you thank you all for being our show today thanks bill thanks elise i want to see you in person someday in our studio soon definitely i'll be there next time thanks bill thanks everybody you know weekend review is produced by kevin kinestet whom i also thank and we get social media and live streaming support from juan pablo chiquiza and tio popescu and bernard wallet runs the board, thanklessly or not. Whether I thank him or not, he's there making the show sound great, and I thank you for listening. And I thank you for joining us a week from today when we come back with more Week in Review. Take it over that. Egg corn. <laughs>